look, it will be more convenient, but this is what she asked for, so I'm going to do what she asked, yeah, sure, but yeah. it's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being, being annoyed about your... Whatever, it's Annoyed fine. about it's the funny. logistics of death is, is very funny. So I said, Dad, when you make sure... When you, when you write your will or your fucking wishes or whatever, make sure you write, like, here's what I want or the nearest equivalent. Yeah, or the cheapest <laughs> equivalent, yeah. Or, or a reasonable substitute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome once again aboard Beef Station. Join us as we rocket through the stars at the speed of sound. I'm Oscar. And I am Andrew. We're back, baby. Hey. Here we are. How for you our, uh, I, I was about to... How you doing, buddy? I'm it's good, a long man. time no see. I'm asking the listener. Sorry. I'll right, to right. How you doing? It's good to see you. Yeah, nice. Oh, good. Good. Nice. Yeah. Oscar, how are you? Yeah, get a room, Get a room, you two. <laughs> Fucking hell! Only two, <laughs> one listener. Yeah, look, we're being oh, yeah, realistic. It's right. you and Dave. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, good. We're. I feel like we're well established at our monthly release schedule. It's going well. We're, we're, we we had a good chat about uh, releasing more frequently, and then promptly didn't record for a month. Yeah. So here we are yeah. back again. Yeah. Uh, I've got a great excuse this time. So. Mm. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. How many times are you gonna bloody trot that one? Yeah. Out? <laughs> That's, that's right. But here we are, um, back for another week. Uh, we th- thought we'd do another one. We don't really have an official movie. We'll just sort of run you through what we've been, what we've been doing in the last little while. They had the Oscars that have just come out, uh, the Oscars results that just came out uh, a week or two ago. So we yep. thought we could run through those as well, run you through some of our patented news and uh, business or pleasure uh, films that we've been catching up on in the last few weeks. Mm. Uh, have you got any funny anecdotes? Uh, no. No funny anecdotes? No. Damn, strap in, listener. To do with what? <laughs> I don't know. Just, just any... Just, just, just so that the news, the news music is Tell me a joke. Just so that the news music isn't like 20 seconds into the episode, you know? <laughs> um, funny anecdotes. Yeah, just in your own time. Just, just whatever. I don't know. Let me stall for time. You and I worked out this morning. That was pretty good. <laughs> pretty Did funny? Little, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. I didn't say it was funny. I said I was stalling for time. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, so let me stall. I will say, I don't think we've talked about it in the pod, but a friend of the show, Brody, mm. uh, Hello, ho- Brody. hooked us up to- Spoiler um, Boys Companion Podcast. I don't mention if Brody listens, but we're going to get Brody on the show. Yeah. He, um, oh, anyway, yeah. a friend of the show, Brody, um, uh, has this workout session thing that's uh, a friend of a friend of his- Owns a warehouse out in Fishwick that over COVID didn't get much use, and they just filled it with workout equipment. Mm. And now this guy that's a friend of Brody's just runs like uh, circuit like classes training, on Sunday yeah. morning. Yeah, um, and it's great and it's good fun. And we just work out on a Sunday morning and listen to the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater soundtrack <laughs> and like death metal and stuff. Mm. Uh, and it looks like something out of a movie because it's literally yeah. like there's a half disassembled motorcycle in one corner. There's like a fucking forklift. It's in like the other a Tarantino corner. set. It's like exactly like yeah, that. It looks like, like we're in because there's all books. this bleach and shit on the walls yeah. <laughs> and like. But like old cardboard boxes of cleaning yeah. supplies and stuff is it rules. It's straight yeah. out of a mob movie. Like literally, literally working out in a warehouse. I have kept it in my mind as a potential set one day. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It fucking rules. It's awesome. Uh, yeah. And there's just a, a lot of uh, a lot of strong lads and ladies getting stronger in there. So oh yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and Andrew and I in the corner giggling up a storm. Mm, that's right. Oh, I got. I don't. This isn't a funny anecdote. Right. But. Um, Oh, I might be able to make it a funny anecdote. Let's see. <laughs> that's uh, honestly, Andrew. That's the skill. Listeners, yeah, exactly. I was like, well, let me flex this muscle. Um, so, uh, friend of the show and previous guest Laura and I went out for uh, a bevo last night. Yeah. Um, Where'd you go? At Cicada, which is a nice bar. 
here in Canberra, like quite a nice like jazzy um, sort of. Uh, I think it's Japanese. Uh, the B reel said Philip. Okay, whatever, doesn't matter. Fine. Why are you looking at the location tags on my B reel, motherfucker? <laughs> um, Why are you lying to me about which puppy you went to? I didn't specify. Lord. I didn't ask it to tag me no, in Lord Philip. Lord. Oh, right. Um, yeah, so Cicada, uh, highly recommend. They have a signature Negroni that is like fantastic. It's called the Cicada Negroni. And um, they make it with like strawberry infused gin. Damn. So it's a little sweeter than a normal Negroni. Really lovely. I love um, a cocktail bar that puts random bullshit in their cocktails. Yeah, they fuck like, with it. I went to a place in Adelaide when I was there for work and I went there with a mate and we got old fashions and they put like um, chocolate infused oil and yeah. shit in it. Yeah. It was awesome. So Dude, good. they're not even using Campari. They're right. using other shit in this Negroni. Right, right. So it's awesome to start with. Anyway, so we're, go we're getting a second round. And this this uh, this waiter who I really <laughs> I really want to not like this guy, but I begrudgingly really like Great, him. Yeah, <laughs> he's like he's he's the he gives off the biggest like himbo energy I've ever seen in my entire life. It's yeah. like the way that he talks, he, it feels he's always got this like big smile on his face, and um, it feels like he should be having like the worst opinions ever, but he's just always so friendly. We used to work with a man exactly like this. Yeah. And um <laughs> was it like that? Uh oh, can we cut it out but who do you mean? Oh, I never worked with him. Oh, he's lovely. So, he's yeah, lovely. Yeah. Very very similar. Um yeah, and uh sort of like cropped bleach blonde hair and stuff. And um he comes up to us and he goes like, oh, can I sort you out with another round of Jill, drinks? Can I sort you out with another round of drinks? He, <laughs> I can't. I don't know if I can do this voice, but it's like, uh, he's, he's white. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he, go, he goes like, um, hey, how's he's going? Do you mind? Do you, can I sort you out with anything else? Yeah, it's yeah. like that kind of shit. You yeah. know, really like, but it's just, I don't know. He's a sweet, he's a sweet man. Yeah. And um, he comes up, he goes, uh, yeah, and we're like, oh, can we get the? Um, I'm going to get one of these. Can we? Uh, oh, he. We ordered two of the signature Negronis. Yeah. Basically, he goes away, and then he comes back like m- maybe a minute later, and he goes like, um, so listen, uh, we- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which rules? Yeah. Um, and he kind of we have a situation. His like here. voice quietens down a little bit. No, we have an opportunity. <laughs> he goes. Um, the someone ordered a someone ordered a whole oil tanker's worth of Negroni. <laughs> the head bartender <laughs> has been cooking something up. It's a it's a twist on our signature Negroni, but instead of strawberry infused gin, we're using coffee infused gin. Damn! And you guys look like a couple of pretty chill. Well, this guy, <laughs> this guy has is like a guy where um this was like this is a very impressive bar, and so yeah. when I was on dating apps, uh, I I brought a few uh, like probably three people there. Great, you know, um. But, like, you go through these phases of, like, on and off. So, I probably went there with Laura and then three people in the space of, like, a couple of weeks or something. Right. And he was, like... The bartender's, like, One time he he said, like, oh, back again. And I was, like, man, (laughs) shut the fuck up. What are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? (laughs) Back again with a different woman, I see. Pulling him aside and being, like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Literally, yes. I was, like... Listen, Todd. I come here with friends all the time. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, giving him eyes. (laughs) and um uh and so he like i think he recognized we haven't been there in ages but i think he recognized both of us are regulars and so yeah he like comes up his his voice like quietens down a little and he goes like yeah listen we've got this like special thing so if you guys would be keen to try that and uh i was i I looked at lauren i was like oh do you want to get like one of the normal one because you know we like that one of this Mm. new one 
and um Laura was like, oh, I'm happy to try the... Co-. And I was like, yeah, two of those, please. I mean, and u- then, ultimately, it's no risk, right? It's like, if you're yeah. in a fancy cocktail bar, it's going to be fine. It's not like it's going to be bad. Right, yeah. right. Um, yeah, and he brings it... He brings them out, and they... I expected it to look kind of like, I don't know, opaque, but it was completely... It looked exactly like a normal Negroni. Right. Um, but know, it look, had, you made a mistake. But we, it had we, we ordered the special one. <laughs> but it had coffee-infused gin and uh, nutmeg over the top of it. Mm. Really, really good. Damn. One of my favorite cocktails never I've ever tried again. in my that, entire life. That's like life. a two hundred dollar investment. No, to I asked make him, it. and he told me how they make it. Damn. So I'm going to try and make it. It's basically like he's doing cold brew, but with gin instead of oh, water. Oh, they didn't like buy the gin. No, they made their own infused gin. That's sick. Yeah, it fucked, man. So the only question is like what gin they use. But I guess we we'll, we can just try. Yeah, yeah, it's like coffee grounds. They use like coffee from Red Brick, so it's like real Canberra stuff. Oh, that it's rules. really sick. And um, yeah, like one of the best cocktails I've ever had in my entire life. Definitely going to try and make it at home. Yeah, that rules. And so, <laughs> also on this night, um, for some reason we noticed afterwards there were a lot of crickets around, <laughs> like big black crickets. Man's in and cicada bar and he thinks they're crickets. No, like that's what I, I know. I was like, <laughs> is, is that a cicada? It's like, no, it's a cricket. Right. And um, <laughs> the, I'm talking like these, the, the, these are like probably top two uh, top two knuckles of my index finger. Do you mean like like big inside black there were crickets. real crickets? Outside there were lots, and then one of them was inside, right. which happened to be the first one they that we like saw. They were like wooden crickets no, that no, were decoration. These were right. this this was one live cricket that was walking. Right, and sorry. I thought you meant you were like I went to Cicada Bar and they had this big picture of a no, fucking no, cricket. No, no. <laughs> um, no. After we went outside, we realized like oh, it wasn't just this one place right. that had a fucking insect in it. Like right. I don't know, something around there is happening, and there's so many crickets. Yeah. But there was one inside, and it was like, you know, famously crickets, they like to jump. And mm. so. Uh, me, too, me too, actually. Yeah. Um, which is <laughs> ironic because you're a white man. So um, they this like thing was just buzzing around. And then halfway through our drinks, I Laura, <laughs> Laura went to the bathroom and it flew behind me. Like we were on a booth seat, and it went like behind my booth seat. Right. And so I was like looking over the back, and it jumped and like nearly hit me in the face. Hell yeah. And I like flinched back. I was like, fuck, fuck this. <laughs> so I grabbed my water glass that was in front of me, and I just like trapped it behind the seat. <laughs> so it's like completely out of sight. Right. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them when I leave that like I, I did that but hey there's a cricket in the- <laughs> but we didn't know that there were lots of crickets and I didn't want them to think that we would think that it was like a gross place with pests or whatever because it's not like that it's just like this was just one random bug that got inside yeah and um you could be like man I love I love the fucking cicadas well this is the thing on on I, I sent a photo to Laura I was like this is what I did because she knew the cricket was there then on our way out, I'm like, I'm going to tell them. And they're going to notice because there's only one water glass and they fucking know that there were two of us. So, they're yeah. going to be like, did this guy steal a glass? <laughs> and then if I don't tell them, they won't probably find that or see it in for a, weird a while. Because it's yeah. in like a really obscure spot. Yeah. And then we're walking out and Laura was like, are you going to tell them? And I was like, no. <laughs> it's too weird. <laughs> and then I get three meters further and I think like, no, just it doesn't matter. You can say it non-judgmentally. Like I'm sure they'll be fine. They'd rather know than find it later. Yeah. So I turn around and I go, "All right, fuck it. I'm going to tell them." And then we get to the bar where I'm going to say it on our way out, and the head bartender. So we'd given the guy really good feedback. He was like, "Oh, she'll be super psyched. She actually had someone like basically someone from a restaurant that they had partnered with like neg the idea and be right. like, "No, nah, don't do that. That'll be shit." And then she like tried it anyway, and we really Hell thought yeah. it was great. So, um. So she like 
grabs us and she's like, oh, hey, what did you reckon? And we were like, oh, oh yeah, so it was good, so yeah. sick. And I talked it up. And then there was like a half a second of dead space. <laughs> and I was like, like no. I just didn't tell him. <laughs> I was like, I'm not telling him. I'm not telling him. I can't interrupt. I can't like She's up just on a rain on her fucking parade. Yeah, by being yeah, like, yeah. Also, there was a gross bug and I used my water glass to hide it in nah, a weird spot. Yeah, I'm sure it would have been okay, but it was just, I just walked out of there. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, don't judge me. Okay, so so if, if Laura had gone to the bathroom, yeah. um, which she did, so you, mm. you, this doesn't have to be part of the, the imagination hypothetical. That's correct. Okay, we're in the state where Laura's gone to the bathroom. Laura's gone to the Great. bathroom. Okay, so it's me by myself at the table. You have these two special, one-of-a-kind, amazing Negronis with a coffee liqueur. And okay. they're probably like $30 drinks or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, the cricket jumps in Laura's Negroni. What do you do? Because <laughs> I, well, I know what I would want to do. The real moral dilemma I- would be it jumps in mine. <laughs> Right? And and I'm looking at both, being like, I have an opportunity. What do you do? Um, Because I know know what I would do. uh, If I was Laura, I I know what I would want. I I know what I would want to do. I'll tell you what I would do. If I was Laura, I would want you to take the cricket out and not tell me. Oh, no. I I don't know about that, man. I don't care. No, I I, I reckon I don't care. I'm not squeamish about that at all. And I I, I am worried that I get back and you have called in like a fucking, like a team of people in hazmat suits and you have like... uh, No, I'm not bothering the restaurant or anything. I I would want you to just take the cricket out and not tell me. It sounds like you would switch it. (laughs) I wouldn't switch them. I think I would say, I think I would explain what had happened and then be like, can I have like a little bit more of yours or something? You know what I mean? Like, just like, you I don't need the whole thing. Whatever. If the cricket landed in it. I'm assuming if an insect lands in a pool of alcohol, it's like shitting itself or whatever. No, you know what like, I mean? It's like, like sterile. It's sterile. Yeah, but it's still shit. Like, if you drop a poop poop in a bottle of vodka, you think it stops being poop? All right, we have to start the news. <laughs> You asked for this, all right? You asked if I had any funny anecdotes. You laugh and you little dick off. A fair bit of that. So don't you come at the king, all right? Because you just missed. I think to be fair, I went to a cocktail bar and they made me a nice drink. Yeah, you dressed that up. You dressed that up pretty well. Yeah, I went to my favorite player and they made me a drink I really liked. Yeah, yeah. yeah I right. felt special. But yeah, that the, was good. The cricket was the poison chalice. Yeah, we had a bit... There was, there was a little bit of magic there. Yeah. Um, welcome back to my dad and my uncle who have skipped to this time code. <laughs> <laughs> let's... Uh, You're missing the best part. Let's start the news. Uh, yeah. Stop and smell the roses. That's what I say. Beef bullet. Mm, yum. Yummy, yummy, yummy beef. All right. Here's the first one. Um, Freddie Prince Jr. calls I Know What You Did Last Summer director an asshole who gave psychotic notes like don't leave your mouth open. <laughs> really? An absolute, an absolute peach from, from Variety here. Um, um, okay. So, sorry. For those who don't know, Freddie Prince Jr. is the... that. Probably most well known for being Fred from the Scooby Doo live yeah. action films. So great. So he apparently has started this horror movie podcast with this other guy who I've never heard of named John Lee Brody. And there was actually a few headlines about Freddie Prince Jr. So I guess he's been doing a lot of promo or sure. talking about stuff on the podcast or whatever. And so, um, and and so this is um uh, one of the episodes where I guess he was talking about 
I think it's his first movie that he was ever in. It's mm. a 1997 slasher movie called I Know What You Did Last Summer. Right, I've heard um, of it. Right, so uh, he's talking about how crazy apparently the director Jim Gillespie was on set and about how it was miserable, primarily apparently because the director didn't want to cast Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah, it was kind of, nice. kind of forced to by the studio. That happens not, in, uh, not infrequently, I think, in so, Hollywood. So there are some great quotes and I'm just going to mm-hmm. read it straight out. Here is, so he says, um, I'll give the man this. I think his name is Jim. He made no bones about it. There was no passive aggressiveness, which I hate. No he passive was, aggressiveness. He was very direct in the fact that I don't want you in this movie. Great. So when that's your first job and you hear those words, it just wrecks you, man. Yeah, of course. That's terrible. It just that's really wrecks bad you. directing. Uh, Prince Jr. said Gillespie gave him psychotic notes on set, such as, don't leave your mouth open because you look stupid when you do that. <laughs> That's funny. That was the exact note. note, Word for word. I'll never forget it, uh, he said. And I'm like, I'm either going to break down or I have to beat this guy's ass. Like, those were the only two options in my head. I remember Ryan came up to me and was like, screw that guy, man. How many times did you audition for this movie? And I go, five times. And he goes, yeah, you earned it. You didn't get offered the role. You earned it. Um, Prince Jr. said he nearly quit the movie because of Gillespie, adding that it was a struggle to finish work every day. I was in pain every single day on that movie. However, it prepared me for this business in a way. I'm I'm forever grateful to Jim for being such an asshole because I've never met one like that since. No other director I've I've met felt crossing those lines would be okay. I've been prepared for every lesser a-hole in the business. Yeah. I guess it's good. It's like trial by fire. So such a crazy fucking note. I would would pay so much money to hear... um, all of the notes. I want to hear all the fucking notes from this. It sounded absolutely insane. Even seeing a recorded clip of him getting that note <laughs> yeah. and like the expression on each of their faces and stuff. Yeah. Don't leave really your good. mouth open because you look stupid when you do that. Oh, man. So really good. funny. Uh, so that's that's the first headline. Um, he, he, there was another there was another um, there was another article about the same the same story, actually, from a different mm. source where he said that um. He came close, and on the movie, he had a near-death experience while filming a motorboat for the the filming on a motorboat for the finale. Filming a motorboat, yeah. He said, "I I almost caught a flight and went home. I was done. I had enough. They'd broken a ton of union rules and all sorts of crazy shit. Man, it sounds like it was absolutely insane." Um, That's the first headline. Okay, here's the next one. So this is in reference to the Oscars, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, You watched clips from it. You watched a whole bunch. I watched the whole thing. Okay, here we go. Uh, article from Vulture here. Jenny the Donkey's Oscar cameo was all a fraud. Yeah, I didn't think so, dude. Because they talked about how that fucking donkey is retired like near where they filmed or some yeah. shit. It's, she's like in Ireland. Mm. Following the scene-stealing turn in the... Uh, in the Oscar-nominated black comedy The Banshees, Banshees of Anna Sharon, Jenny the Donkey retired from public life at the yeah. behest of director Martin McDonough, and that hasn't been interrupted for an important event such as the Academy Awards. At the 2023 Oscars, Jimmy Kimmel brought out, allegedly, the poster child of sad donkey autumn, but it turns out the whole thing was a damn sham. Open your eyes, the donkey was a freaking fraud. This is Jenny. She's one of the stars of Banshees of Inner Sharon, Jimmy Kimmel said as he introduced yeah, a donkey to the crowd. Yet another bald-faced lie from American <laughs> propagandist Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> but in a shocking twist, a source tells Vulture that it wasn't the real Jenny attending the Oscars alongside Kimmel. It was just a random donkey. Yeah. 
real Jenny fans know she is living off her Banshee's bag in a donkey paradise. Martin fell so in love with her that he never wanted her to work again, her former trainer Rena Maloney of Fur- Furcroft Animal Actors told Vulture. He asked if she could just do this movie and then retire. Now she's just a happy donkey running with other miniature donkeys. I saw her about three weeks ago down in County Carlo and she's looking fine, fit and healthy. She's just living the dream. Jenny doesn't need this. Yeah, so apparently Jimmy Kimmel talked about it on his show, uh, and he said, like, oh, look, there's been a lot of articles going on, buzzing around, calling us a fraud. Yeah, it, it wasn't Jenny. Uh, the rumors are true. It wasn't even a female donkey. The donkey's name was Dominic. It was a male donkey. We didn't think it would be a good idea to fly a donkey over from Ireland, so we hired an L.A. donkey. Also, uh, I will say this. That donkey looked like it fucking hated that whole thing. I didn't watch the clip. It, stood, be stressful like, it moved fuck. back behind him, dude. I fucking thought that was so cruel. I really yeah. didn't like that shit. I, um, I, I watched a... Um, Colin Farrell is just like wholeheartedly in love with Jenny uh, and apparently had a great time on set with this lovely mm. little donkey. Uh, but apparently Jenny had her own emotional support donkey. Like there was another donkey on set... Just um, to, for her to go back to. Just for her to hang yeah, out with on sick. set. And apparently most of the shots where Jenny's on screen, she is like staring at this other donkey. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. It's very sweet. Yeah, it's nice. Yes. Whatever they need. Whatever they need. I want to... I want to. Oh, God, that was such a good fucking movie, man. I'm, I'm, we're Banshees. talking about the Oscars in a bit, but I'm mm. a bit disappointed that it didn't do better because yeah. um, fuck, it was a good movie. Um, just a little one. I, I don't know if you're big on Talking Heads, and neither am I, but I've seen Stop Making Sense, which yeah. is their 1984-83 concert film, similar to The Last Waltz, where it's basically just a concert. It's so... Have you seen it? No. Man, it's so much fun. Um, it's not, like... Yeah. Even Talking if you're not big is, on Talking... Even if you're not big on Talking Heads, all the different versions they do of their songs in Stop Making Sense are great fun, and um, it's a really cinematic, theatrically done concert, uh, like David Byrne comes on in the first track with a boombox and just does the song to a boombox and then more and more members of the band come on stage for each song. It's like well-directed. Like, by like the sixth song, the whole band's on stage and David Byrne is so fucking satisfying to watch dance. I could watch mm. that man. He's like Bruno Mars levels of like exciting to watch dance. Mm. Bruno Mars, Elvis, David Byrne. Three people here you could just watch dance for four hours a day. Uh, it's It's... The best fun. I'm really not that into talking heads, but stop making sense rules. Uh, and there's a headline that I saw the other day that says that A24 is doing a remastered, remixed, re like 4K HD redo of Stop Making Sense. Mm. It's going to be out this year, and they're going to do apparently a cinema version of it, and it's going to be coming out on vinyl for the first time, which is exciting. Yeah, I, I saw that on A24 socials. Yeah, yeah, very excited for that. Because uh, was he was David Byrne in a was he on a soundtrack for something A twenty four did recently? Yeah, he, he did a he did a song for Everything Ever All at Once. That's apparently, right. Which I yeah. didn't really remember from the movie. So maybe it was a credits thing, but um, yeah, might have he been. performed at the Oscars. Right. And yeah, so the um, yeah. so the, this seems like a timely kind of thing. The teaser for it is cool. It's Dave. It's David Byrne going into a dry cleaner and picking up the big suit from the dry cleaner and being like, Oh sure, oh, it's been in there for a little while. Right. <laughs> it's cool. Fuck. It's it, you've got to watch like. You gotta watch it, man. It's great. It's mm. so much fun. In the same way as the last waltz is fun, this is great. Um Quick headline. Apparently the giraffe from The Last of Us was a real giraffe. Wasn't wasn't CGI. Saw that. It was yeah. a real trained giraffe. And then I saw a photo that was like um it had like it was the giraffe in front of um Bella Ramsey and Pedro Pascal. 
And I was looking at the back of it, and I was like, that kind of looks like an indoor zoo enclosure. But it had they had blue panels all around. Might have been, like yeah. it I was mean, like it was like poking its head through a window of like through the a window in the blue panel wall. I mean, it, and behind it, it looked like a zoo. So I was like, did they just set up a bunch of blue screens at, at a the zoo? zoo? That's fine. I mean, like that's probably easier than whatever the fuck else they could they do. They couldn't like, have got it on Bring a, set. a giraffe yeah. <laughs> to set. Yeah, like, no. Is there some sort of, you know those horse floats? Can you get like a giraffe I, float? I, I don't know. I'm How assuming that they knock them out and then put them in a big Fold them up. truck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Last one, which probably isn't much of one to finish on, but it's the one I'm most excited about, is that apparently Tarantino has got his allegedly final movie all lined up and ready to go. Uh, the t- All we know really is a title, and then he's written, he's written the script that he's planning on directing uh, in autumn in America. It's called The Movie Critic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, log lines a bit. Log line details being kept in a suitcase, but sources tell Hollywood Reporter that the story is set in the 1970s in LA with a female lead at its center. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. The female lead at its center is is something, but I mean, you you get a little worried I mean, hearing kill that before. Tarantino. No, and Jackie Brown and stuff. No, yeah. I mean, th- sorry, I'm saying that the female lead offsets this a little bit. But what I was going to say is. Um, you get a little worried hearing that Tarantino, who is a man that I think love his art, but yeah. does sort of seem like the kind of guy who loves sniffing the smell of his own farts, is going to take on uh, the, the the biggest enemies in the world. Yeah, there's a bit of that. Critics, it's, it's gonna, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm just like, Ooh, okay, let's see what he does. Because I yeah. don't know, maybe it won't be that bad. But, you and know, I, I'm curious to see. I really liked Once Upon a Time. He absolutely... So. I rewatched it recently and fucking adored it. I remember, I remember so being a good. bit cold on it in the cinema, but going back on it, film. expecting a vibe, mm. expecting a slow vibe, it was uh, so good. I've, I've seen it several times since. Yeah, I really love it. I, I really think it's his best work. I think oh, yeah. it's not necessarily the best handling of like female characters and stuff, but in in terms of just like if you look at the story in a vacuum and how. And it's so satisfying it's to watch, and it's so yeah. relaxing. Oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm also, also the really fact that Brad Pitt's a piece of shit, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. what Brad Pitt's do? a piece of shit. Yeah, it came out. He's like, yeah, he fucking like hit his hit his kids and Angelina Jolie and shit. Oh man, it's really yeah, quite quite upsetting stories. No, that's problems with alcoholism and stuff. Good movie there. Uh, I'm yep. really excited to see what he does after this. He's all mm. talk about his like ten movies, and then he's like, well, actually, Kill Bill one and two are one movie, so that ca- doesn't count. And then uh, this is his last one, though, right? He According says, to his own system. So what he says is it's his last one in the like the written directed by. Uh, holistic vision by Quentin Tarantino okay. type things, which makes me feel like maybe he's gonna, I don't know, maybe he'll direct other stuff he'll or maybe he'll write. write for other people. He's talked about wanting to do like Star Trek episodes. Yeah, th- I guess it's curious, right? Is he, would he like to direct more stuff or write more stuff if he could only do one or the other? Yeah, I don't know. He's talked about doing a TV treatment of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm. which maybe they've already done. Um, I'm curious to see. Part of me thinks that maybe he's going to get to the end of this and be like, actually, I want to do one more. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the 10 movies and then I've done thing is just a little weird. Like, I, I respect that. Because I think he said, like, there's so many of his heroes that went on for too long and uh, mm. kept making art when they were these old grizzled fucks. And you're like, ah, oh, like... You know, you know, whatever. And people, people that are like, just let, just watch Scorsese's seventies and eighties stuff or whatever. You know, um, yeah, sure. Maybe but Scorsese also is like, a bad example. Yeah, he's exactly. Movies, I was about to like, say Scorsese is a good example of someone that's been working for like thirty years plus yeah. and is fine. And then he has like a Shutter Island that some people are critical of, or or whatever. Or like, uh, who's the guy that did Apocalypse Now? Francis Ford yeah, Coppola. Francis Ford Coppola. He's yeah. a good example of a guy that 
Sure. Or maybe apparently his modern movies aren't as good. Whatever. I kind of respect the sentiment, but it's like if you've mm. still got him in the tank, man, if, you, if you're yeah, good at it's being just your arbitrary. own critic and recognizing it, yeah. keep going. Which, granted, I think he might not be, but we'll see. Yeah, he's, he, he also does. In the, in the last few years, I think there's been a huge turn of public opinion against him. He is a fucking dork, and he's kind of insufferable in interviews. Yeah. He's so annoying. I, I think he's... Yeah, I think he does have an, an annoying vibe, but I've always... I mean, actually... Uh, Laura and I were talking about this recently where like I do kind of like whenever he's because he's so accomplished and I, yeah. I like his art so much whenever he's giving advice or which is how I ever see most of his clips is on yeah. like things like uh, screenwriters Instagram pages and that kind of shit where it's interviews yeah. Um, whenever he's giving advice about his method or about character or about all that kind of stuff um, I, I kind of automatically go like oh he kind of knows what he's talking about I should I should sort of listen to this mm. But yeah, I haven't really consumed that much else about like of h- him just talking about anything else. And I mean, you know, there's a bunch of like more sort of like slightly concerning or I mean, not concerning, but like just uh, stories about him being basically an annoying and sufferable shithead. Yeah, in, there's that one Hollywood, about the, the lady, Fiona, that, Apple. Fiona Apple that like never went, did cocaine again or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know. I don't know. I, I actually got gifted mm. his book for Christmas. The Once Upon a Time in Hollywood one? No, oh, it's on, on it's on cinema or something. I can't remember what it is. Oh, right. Sorry. Because he did a novelization yeah. of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No, no, well, no, no. The, the, the bio, biographical one. I reckon he I reckon he would have some great nuggets. Uh, I'm, I'm sure yeah, that book maybe. would have lots so, of great little nuggets. In I don't there. know. Uh, people seem to like the book, yeah. but uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see whether or not it seems like it's it's annoying or if it seems like it's just interesting. Him maybe and, it was written by someone else. Him and Roger Avery uh, mm. have a podcast together where they talk about movies and stuff. Um, and they always pick weird B movies and like obscure picks, which yeah. makes me think the watch Watching those would be cool. Um, Maybe. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, have you watched... There's, there's a really great video that I'll try and remember to put in the description. And it's a guy that describes the whole process of Quentin Tarantino and Roger Avery writing Pulp Fiction. And about how Tarantino deliberately fucked over Roger Avery to... Uh, to, to get the written and directed by credit. To get the written and directed by yeah. credit. It's really interesting because there was a very brief one that we saw a little while ago where he was he mentioned this guy in sunglasses that mentions it in passing. But there was like mm. a, a detailed like 20 minute video essay where they, they, he explains like the specific union rules and yeah, all these yeah, interviews with Quentin Tarantino where How like. quit the DGA or something. Yeah. yeah where he talks about like, you sh- it shows you the progression of Tarantino telling this anecdote about how he wrote the movie over the years and about how. As the years go by, he minimizes Roger Avery's it's, contribution um, more and more, and Roger Avery is kind of like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. But like, it's uh, who's it's Tommy Tallarico, <laughs> maybe the, yeah. um, like this no, like it's the same kind of process where like Tommy Tallarico employs Joey Curris to do all of his sound design, and then oh, sorry, yeah, he, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah as he yeah, gets yeah. like as it gets more and more famous, he's like, uh, actually, I did that. <laughs> it's exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. Should we talk about the Oscars a bit? Yeah, sure. Cool. Yeah, sounds so, good. Uh, obviously, uh, I don't know when they were going to end up getting this out, but it's, it happened uh, a week or two like a ago, week ago. A week ago when we were recording this right now. Um, biggest story out of it that probably at most people that have tuned in to the Oscars Awards uh, have seen is that everything, everywhere, all at once cleaned up a bunch of major awards. Yeah, it so, really did. I think it won seven awards, which is a lot. And I'm a bit conflicted because when I watched it, I really loved it and I thought, man, I hope that this gets picked up and gets popular. But mm. there was so much critical and I think like if you want to win film to win awards and you want the film to be recognized, the Academy Awards are the ones that you want it to be recognized for. But the Academy Awards are like the last ones. 
And by the time yeah. it gets to those, it had already swept. I've got there things over here. It had swept so many other award ceremonies, mm. like the Hollywood Critics Association and the Independent Spirit Awards and uh, the Satellite Awards and the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Uh, and all these other fucking award ceremonies so that by the time it got to the Oscars, it was already like very, very, very universally recognized as like a great movie. Yeah. And then it, there were, and so now I'm starting to feel this underdog like, man, I wish, I hope that this film gets the recognition about other movies that aren't everything, everywhere, all at once. I love everything, everywhere, all at once and I hate that the hipster in me is like, trying to despise it a bit now that it's getting popular. But I think it's literally mm. just like, for example, Banshees of Inner Sharon didn't win anything really. I don't think it won anything. Yeah. Uh, and I think it deserved stuff. I think this so- is the inherent problem with like award ceremonies, you know, and it's it's why mm. it's very easy to hate. I, I really don't, I think the Oscars are stupid a lot of the time because they don't give awards to movies that I really like. Yeah. But it's also, you know, y- you end up inherently comparing things that aren't really at any point intended to be compared. And so, because it's a competition, so only one thing can win in each category. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I I agree with you, and I feel similarly. But I guess I just kind of, I, I guess the only things that I look for now that I expect to get a positive experience from in the Oscars and like similar award ceremonies, yeah, are when a movie that is quite small, yeah, absolutely kills or gets really recognized for example like paul mascal being nominated for his performance in after sun like i yeah i the nominations came out and i think i had not yet seen after sun yeah. but laura had seen it and obviously as she talked about a couple of maybe last episode um she was super psyched that he'd been nominated crazy for he it. got nominated um, right it's crazy that he got nominated because not that it's not an incredible performance but it's yeah. such a small subtle movie that I just never would have fucking thought that like an awards ceremony that's giving awards to like Black Panther and you know sort of um, like Avatar and Top Gun and big fucking movies would and A24 films would recognize this this I mean After Sun is A24 but still you know um, comparatively smaller movie it reminds me of I think one of the most famous years of like in, in my memory at least of like years where the best picture went to a crazy movie instead of big beloved ones is in mm. 90, I've just looked it up again 1994 Forrest Gump won the other nominees in 1994 that did not win best picture include Pulp Fiction and The Shawshank Redemption in the same yeah. year two of which are now probably I would say like way more critically considered to oh be yeah like where's movies. Forrest Gump in fucking IMDb's top 250 I guess people love Forrest Gump but like my, I suppose yeah. my point is like yeah like Pulp Fiction The Shawshank Redemption fucking those would be top movies. 10s easy. easy always top 10s easy. you know so, uh, I thought we could go through them and maybe give a bit of commentary about, like, movies that... Movies, performances that we think, like, yeah, everything ever all at once is good, but you guys should check out this other but one. But I would have rather... Nominated. Yeah, I would have yeah. this. Yeah, sure. So, I don't know if you've got it open as well, but... Um, yeah, so everything, everything all at once. It won Best Picture. Yes. I love it. I think it was very well done for Best Picture. My other favourites on the list of nominees were Banshees of Inner Sharon, as we've talked yep. about before. Um and Triangle, Triangle Status, I honestly think Banshees of Inner Sharon is my big hot favourite. And if you still haven't mm. seen it, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to mention it a couple more times when it comes up. But Banshees of Inner Sharon, Martin McDonough, the same guy that did Three Billboards and In Bruges. Uh, Seven Psychopaths. Seven yeah. Psychopaths. Such a great movie. Mm. It's really, really good. Yeah. You were also pretty keen on The Fablemans. I liked Triangle of Sadness. Triangle of Sadness liked, and Tar. Uh, Tar. I liked Fablemans. Um 
Fablemans being Steven Spielberg's uh, mostly autobiographical, uh, most recent I'm keen to see effort. It. I think I've missed it in the cinemas. But it's I'm really good. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really good. I think it would have been. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, there only would have been a couple. So there are ten yeah. nominees for um, best pick. There only would have been a couple that I would have been like annoyed about. I'm not really annoyed about everything ever yeah. all at once winning. I think I'm happy with it winning best picture. I'm yeah. also really happy with it winning best director. I think it's a very Everything it was, everywhere? yeah very, sure. very I think a movie that could have been very cluttered or too much or a bit too like uh like online reddit humor if it was done yeah. with the wrong hand yeah. and I think they nailed it and I think they did it really tastefully and I think they did it in a way that felt about right for my for my personal mm. taste. I think it's it's interesting that you say basically so basically the challenge that they faced which I think you might be tapping into is like it's an incredibly complicated story to articulate yeah. and there's a lot of different elements that you yeah. need to kind of not necessarily that you actually need to keep track of which might be kind of the key is that they didn't try to make you keep track of everything but uh you know the the whole multiverse shit the things happening simultaneously in what more than one place and you need mm. to understand where both are up to. Understanding the mechanisms of the, yeah. the multiverse jumping thing. The fact that there's all this production design mm. and uh, visual aesthetic and the writing and the performances. Yeah, so it also won the Oscar for Best Editing. And I was initially kind of annoyed at that because I felt like it's just like sometimes... People, I, people like I saw on Twitter. Someone said often the way they predict what's going to win is if you replace best better. with most. Yeah, exactly. And so like yes. the most editing, the which most is, score, which is what um you know like Bohemian Rhapsody. Famously, people were so angry at that because it was a, a notoriously poorly edited movie. Did it win best editing? Yeah, one best editing. Yeah, <laughs> and then you know people yeah. were posting like this one best editing with that scene that's famously awfully the, the edited. The lunch scene or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and um and I think there's some interesting stuff going on there. But um what I will say is. Uh, I th- uh, chatting to Laura about it. She said, "Sorry, all I do when I'm not on the podcast is just uh, uh, t- talk to Laura." So that's why I fucking always bring her up. Um, but no, uh, she's the person that I talk to about movies probably the most after you. So uh, possibly more. So I just <laughs> often it's just like, "Oh yeah, Laura." This you did have to just anyway. while you're talking to a friend. It's fine. Yeah, I know. No, I just feel like the she's basically like a, a third guest without being on the pod. Um, the uh, she explained that it was a really admirable effort that they managed to edit it in a way that you could still keep track of what was going on, basically. Yeah. That not only was that a directing challenge and like a store, like a writing challenge of like, how do we make this feel uh, uh, und- digestible? Yeah. But the editing would have been really fucking difficult because you would have had to, like, you know, without. Uh, having this thing be the length of a miniseries, mm. get people across to understand what the fuck is happening and have it have the emotional moments hit. And I think it actually really did manage to do that. So, you know, at the I end of the did. day, for the same reason uh, as editing, I, I think it's a sort of a justifiable yeah. uh, directing Best Director Award. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, best Actor went to Brendan Fraser in The Whale, which, yes, I haven't seen, and I'm... My- Connor, yeah. my brother, saw it and said it was great. Zach said it was great. I, everyone I that I've spoken it, yeah. to about the whale says they really liked it. Mm. 
So I've heard some criticism. So I haven't seen it, and I will. Yeah. But I've also heard some people leveling criticism at it that it's like a fat phobic movie, and I think a lot of the people leveling that criticism at it are people who haven't seen it. So I think it's doing something a lot more than that. Again, I haven't seen it, and so, I feel like I sound dumb. Someone else on another podcast we listened to said the same thing. It's like I feel yeah. dumb saying I think that the guy from the movie I've seen should have won instead of the guy from the movie I haven't yeah. seen. But like. Yeah. I loved Colin Farrell and the Banshees of Inish Aaron. I also loved. Uh, I think he could have gone to Paul Mescal. Paul Mescal. I think it was good. I think it's very understated. Uh, and a very. I feel like with those very grounded, realistic kind of performances yeah. that are very understated like that, I find it hard to realize that what they're doing is amazing. Mm. If you know what I mean. Like, whereas I feel like Colin Farrell, maybe it's that I'm more familiar with him and I've seen him in lots of interviews and I've seen him in lots of. And so you can see him in something and be like, well, I know that's not what he's normally like. Whereas Paul Mescal, I haven't seen him in as much stuff. Here's my uh, 25 words or less argument for why Paul Mescal's performance is incredible in After Sun compared to another movie that also has an incredible performance like Banshees, right? I think the thing that After Sun does, and we haven't talked about it, we've both now seen it, which has happened since we recorded the last episode. It is a movie I'd really like to talk about, but it's also a movie that I think if you're going to go and see and listener, I would dearly urge you to go and see it you should see it like without knowing very much i would yeah. prefer to everyone to know less about it rather than more yeah. i think the less you know about it the better but, I but think it's a movie where you're not really it, it, sort of once you understand the whole story once the credits roll uh it actually really benefits from a second viewing you don't mm. need it and i it f- really f- truly affected me deeply the first time i saw it but when you go back and you watch Paul Mescal's performance the second time... You can see little details and nuances like in his eyes. But you understand and why he's doing it. And yeah. they're there the, f- the whole time. Yeah. And I think the, the amazing thing that happens is... Mm. Um, I think the movie is sort of from uh, uh, Sophie, his daughter's perspective. I'm swapping character and actor names there, sorry. But s- s- the daughter, Sophie, I think it's sort of from her perspective... And I think she is perceptive. Yeah, Yeah, right. So I think she's perceptive enough to see when those things happen. But the real, uh, the real art of the film is that she's not old enough to understand the implication of what she's witnessing, Mm. but she is old enough to remember, and then later go back and revisit and try to understand. I I think that's why the frame narrative thing that they do in After Sun works so well. Is it's like the adult version of Sophie watching. That's a little bit of a spoiler. Uh, it happens like halfway through. Okay. Um, it's tough. I think that's one of the reasons like the, the, the frame narrative thing in After Sun works so well where you've got like it cuts between the real footage and like the handy cam footage mm. where it makes you feel like it makes you feel like you're sort of revisiting a memory almost and in the same way yeah. it makes you sort of analyze all this stuff and it's like yeah it's like a little holly, holiday handy cam family family video type thing but the fact that it's showing you in this handy cam thing makes me feel like I don't know I know exactly what you mean. I, I totally loved it. And David I think- Ehrlich, who writes reviews that... Oh, he, he's a guy that writes for IndieWire and he does mm. reviews on Letterboxd that we like. Um, he described it as kind of like... Y- you you pick up on this sense of desperation that the the, the, the person who's re-watching these videos yeah. has to understand what they captured without understanding what they captured at the time. Totally. And I, I also think... so great. There's so, many, there's so many beats in the story that they doesn't very clearly and explicitly 
explain to you like you're dumb. No, it's sort of it's just, super. Subtle. It leaves it there for you. And I also agree that his subtle performance is a huge part of that, and it really mm. trusts you. I also talked to someone at work that was like, oh, I didn't really get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, which I felt like it is a movie where if you're not completely on, like if I was on my phone, I don't think I would have. I don't know. No, it's too. It's, Maybe we're just being hipsters. It really it, doesn't. No, I think it's because it doesn't say. It's it it's so so much of that movie is unspoken. It yeah. really is in the performance, yeah. and so I think the fact that it's such a strong performance, I think the fact mm-hmm. that they are so so good together, yeah, and they give each other so much. I'm talking about um, Paul Mescal and, and uh, Frankie, the the young yeah. breakout star who yeah. plays his daughter. Um, I think that him, his mastery, and and credit to Charlotte Wells for her directing as well, mm-hmm. but his mastery of how much to give in order to leave those imprints on you, but yeah. without being so over the top that it feels like he needs to show you what is going on in his head yeah. is, I think, like razor tuning. And I think that's what's really impressive about it. So as much as yeah. it is an understated performance, it's not like fucking Joaquin Phoenix in Joker or whatever, where it's like he's transforming into another character. Yeah. Like the most transformative performance ever. Um <laughs> Uh, it, it, I think it it's hard. Uh, so I'm simultaneously impressed that he was nominated for it because yeah. I really think he should be, and also d- just felt like he's never going to win. I, I don't think so, and I'm really keen to see. And also, also obviously, a weird the little Brendan movie. Fraser as an apology for like what we did to you for 20 years. I think it's like a career so, Oscar yeah, as yeah. well, and I so. I agree. I'm really keen to see what Paul Mescal does next because mostly to me, he's the normal people guy. Well, he's been cast and in Gladiator 2. Great. Ridley Scott. Well, keen to see what he does after that. Mm. Uh, but no, I, I'm Barry keen to see Keen's what he being considered for that too. Imagine that. Fucking Paul Mescal and Barry Keen in the second Gladiator movie. Fuck yeah. Imagine. Um, best actress, Michelle Yeoh. I think she was great in that. I think it's also a bit of a, a story career Oscar There's type so thing. many of them this year. A lot of those. Um, the only other ones... I haven't seen... Also an amazing performance. Yeah. Like, very complicated. Very she had to play a different, a lot of different versions of the same character. She had to really nail it when you needed to be with her empathetically. Absolutely. I watched an interview with the Daniels where they talked about how... Um, Such a physical performance, too. Yeah. And th- so, the Daniels talked about how Michelle Yeoh loved to talk about in interviews. Like, oh, it's such a crazy script. And, you know, I was just uh, following along and didn't really get it. And they mm. were like, no, no. She had... If you look at her script, it had, like, hundreds of post notes it's all the way around, color-coded to the different versions of her character that she needed to be in that scene. Right. And they said that, like, um, Michelle Yeoh is from... I I shouldn't fuck it up, but it's like, if she's from Hong Kong, then they were saying, like, instead of doing English with a Hong Kong accent, she was speaking English with, like, an American immigrant accent. Yeah, she did. I I feel like I noticed her accent work change. Yeah. She said... They said that she was doing all sorts of stuff to really get into character in that movie that people might not necessarily realize that she's doing. Uh but she was incredible in it. The only other one from seen, from the nominees that I had seen is Kate Blanchett, which she's obviously amazing. I don't think she yeah, needs that the is recognition. An performance, um, yeah. Michelle but I Williams think she's never won an Oscar. She's won two or three Oscars. Oh, right. Fuck. Sorry, I'm thinking of someone else. Great. She, okay. Yeah. yeah. Blanchett's won. So yeah. she's fine. I, I, yeah. I think at a point it's like people re- people realize that Kate Blanchett is an amazing actress. You don't need to. You don't need to. Yeah, I don't think she needs yeah, another one. No, I, sure, I, I am yeah. all for giving Tar someone was the incredible, recognition. But yeah. right. Michelle Williams is apparently amazing in the Fablements. Uh Yeah, that felt like a little bit of a... I don't know. Mm. I mean, people really loved her in that. And I guess she yeah. is a really central character. But I'm not sure I would... I'm not sure I would be able to call her a lead. 
So I don't know. It's a, it's a bit. I, I would like more than happy for her to be supporting and definitely earning a supporting actor nomination, yeah. a supporting actress nomination. But as a lead, I yeah. think there was one lead in that movie. Right, and it was, it the, was kid. the kid. Right, another one so, that I feel, I I feel that way about is Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. I'm, I love Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> so she was nominated for supporting, and she was yeah, and she was Jamie Lee Curtis was good as a supporting actress in Everything Ever All at Once, but she was not in it heaps. And also, I feel like Kerry Condon in Banshees was amazing. Yeah, Stephanie Sue in Everything Ever All at Once was also very good. I would have given it to her. Yeah, I think um, the movie kind of lived or died on her doing that. But you know, yeah, whatever. So whatever. Um, Kiwi Kwan. Jamie Lee Curtis has never yeah. won an Oscar though before. Has yeah, she? so I think that so was another career another one. one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Kiwi Kwan in everything, ever all at once. I just fucking also, love this I would I would have swapped out if I could. <laughs> I would have swapped out Jamie Lee Curtis for nominating uh, uh, Frankie, who plays the daughter in After Sun. She was very good. But Incredibly. yeah, Hollywood yeah. hates giving awards to young people. So yeah, there's whatever. that one. I think I think I think um, oh, was that one Taxi Driver. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster, I think, won an Oscar in t- for Taxi Driver when she was at ten or something. Uh, the 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 youngest one is a movie I haven't seen, but yeah, um, I think she might have been nominated. Yeah, yeah. the youngest um, youngest Oscar nomination is like ten or something. It's yeah. crazy. I fucking love Kiwi Kwan. Every single interview, he seems like such a wholesome, thank- like uh, appreciative guy. The story where he they they just weren't act weren't roles for Asian American actors in yeah. Hollywood for like twenty years is heartbreaking and the fact that he was working behind the scenes and in stunts and stuff um all these interviews he talks about how like he decided to get back into acting and then was invited to audition for this like a week after he decided to give it one last chance and he got it and he was apparently up all night till four o'clock in the morning like crying reading it being like i will do anything to get this part i'll do it for free just just cast me please cast me please and the fact that he did it and he nailed it uh it's a bit much when he's in all these interviews, like thanking Steven Spielberg in every fucking interview he does. But like, whatever. The guy, the guy I appreciates like his see, roots. Yeah, he he. I, I think he deserves a recognition that he's getting for this. Yeah. But it does feel like he's given the same thank you speech fifty times, and it does make it just seem a little less it sincere. Is, it is a bit. <laughs> a few of these different speeches have been kind of different. Yeah, uh, I've seen some stuff. Yeah, he, and talking about it, the, uh, both him and Michelle Yeoh, I think, thanked their eighty-four-year-old mums at very home. Very sweet. The, the 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 clip of him being like, "Look, mum, I won an Oscar." Is yeah, like tear joking. Cool. Um, and the fact that he says like, "I I grew up in like a refugee camp." I spent a year yeah, in a I refugee that, yeah. ca- a, like asylum camp or whatever. Um, mm. is, is like heartbreaking. Uh, I loved there was an there was an awards speech that he gave where he was just like listing off and thanking all the sound and lighting guys and stuff. I fucking love above the line people that do that shit, man. Yeah, I know it's start. I feel like it's starting to change, but um, whenever people focus on the like the the the, uh, the above the line crew, so people. it's like. Well, yeah, yeah, I was going to say the opposite, but like whenever, yeah, whenever people uh, really acknowledge that like an, a fucking army of people yeah. are so like integrally necessary to make any fucking movie that's there at the Oscars, yeah. it is really nice because it's I do nice. think crew just don't get that shit. And he seems like enough. a genuinely lovely guy. And also, big part of my childhood, I love Indiana Jones, mm. seeing him as short round and now as an adult I really getting some go recognition. Back and watch all of them, yeah. They're great, man. Yeah. I mean, Temple of Doom has like that, like, you know, it's like this it's like a vaguely tribal ethnic thing that's a bit on yeah. the nose these days, but it's still they're all great movies. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Ironically, they're artifacts of their time. Yeah. Best original screenplay went Makes to everything everywhere. That was good, but my favorite screenplay of the year in terms of the the how tight the dialogue was with Banshees. 
I won't say Benji's uh, not good again. Yeah, so nomi- other nominees, I think Tar was there. Tar, so this is original screenplay. Yeah, Tar, Tar, Tar and Triangle of Sadness. That's right. I, I would honestly have been happy with any of these. I thought, yeah. and it just goes to show, like, overall comment this yeah. year, incredibly strong year, good for, year movies. for movies. I think really, last year we really weren't as crazy about no, it. No, last year's year was a bunch, year. of, bunch of shite. Adapted screenplay, I don't have very strong feelings on. Um, so any sequel that's nominated has to be here. Adapted, adapted screenplay, very quickly. I say it went to Women Talking. Also yeah. nominated was All Quiet, Glass Onion, uh, Living. That's uh, the one with Bill Nye. Okay. Um, yep. a Top Gun, uh, and that's it. So Top Gun being there for the fucking script is so funny. Crazy. That's the wildest. That and it nominated for Best Picture are insane. Apparently I mean, I Tom guess Cruise like didn't ex- didn't attend the ceremony. No. Yeah. Yep. I mean, yeah. I, which is pff, whatever. Yeah. But um, I don't have an opinion about that. Apparently, Women Talking is good. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, I think Women Talking is pretty good. Animated feature went to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which I watched and really liked. Probably the easiest lock of the results. All the Everyone other, was talking about like, yeah. oh, it's obviously going to win. Yeah. I still haven't All seen the it. Other ones so. were most, All Quiet in the Western Front then won a shit ton of Oscars. It won yeah. Best International. It won a lot of technical so This ones. is a Netflix war movie based on German soldiers in World War II. I, I think it's a book the, as well. Yeah, well, I mean, that explains mm. the adapted, but sure. So I guess the premise is uh, young kids who buy into the so if you think about it, we've studied German cinema. Ironically, you and I—not yeah. ironically, but I guess like you know, in a in a sense of like um, I swore I'd you never wouldn't think we'd German ever cinema. fucking study. Yeah. Uh, we'd never studied anything because we're yeah. dumb as hell. Yeah. But um, but yeah, we have studied German cinema, and and one of the funny things is that like you do get this weird like uh complete aversion to acknowledging what the fuck happened in World War Two from yeah. Germany's perspective for yeah. like a solid 20 or 30 years afterwards yeah. because just the culture just you could tell they just wanted to completely move on from it as fast as they possibly could yeah. it was like a national kind of shame and so the um, novel apparently was written in 1929 uh, so it's based on World War I oh it's based still, on World War I fuck still. sorry um, but what's I guess yeah what's interesting is that you you the the sum total of that is just generally you don't get many German war films because they yeah. don't want to make stuff about their own side necessarily. So yeah. you got a lot of propaganda movies, but not a lot of uh, ones that were a little bit critical of the way that things were handled. Yeah. And so this movie is uh, a film about how young people were essentially tricked or bought into this propagandistic machine that Germany whipped up Apparently for the First World War yeah. and how their illusions about what the truth of the fight and the glory of the fight would be were so quickly shattered and then they were left in this like horrific kind of environment. Uh, a friend of the show, Zach, said he really liked it. My dad Laura really liked it. liked it a lot. Yep, she thought it Apparently was good. Apparently great. It won Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, Best Original Score uh, and Best International Feature. So I think we got to see it, man. I'm keen to see it. It's on Netflix. Um, I just you keep saying you don't like war movies, but there's been a lot of war movies you do like. You watch Dunkirk. You watch Apocalypse Now. Yeah, I wouldn't say I really love Dunkirk. I mean, it was pretty good. It was better than I expected. Apocalypse yeah. Now is barely a war movie. It's a movie about. It's a war movie. Um, it's one of the most famous war movies of all time. It is, but it's based on Heart of Darkness by H. Ryder Conrad. Like it's it's not it's about the I like Jarhead because it's which is very similar because it's about the absurdity of war as a concept not because it's about like saving private ryan like oh how sad is it these guys just get pushed into a meat grinder and come out of pulp on the other side like that is the kind of shit that i just don't really enjoy it it makes me feel dread and misery in a way that i don't think is very good so not that i think it's 
badly made or that they shouldn't exist. Have you, have you seen 1915 or 1917? Yeah, but again, that uh, and funnily enough, Jarhead and 1917, both yeah. war movies by Sam Mendes, who oh, yeah, yeah. same guy that did American Beauty. Um, I think you watch one war movie when you're a bit too young. No, it's the type of war movie that I don't necessarily enjoy, which is that I really don't like the ones that are just focused on like the misery and the suffering yeah. because it makes me feel like I feel, I, I feel depressed. Like, yeah. and that's it's the reason why I haven't watched um, uh, Schindler's List yet. Yeah, or like Come and See, or a bunch of like yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would say Schindler's List did not make me feel as bad as that, but yeah, yeah. again Spielberg. Yeah. So um, it's not that. I'm opposed to war movies full stop. I don't like when they do propaganda for imperialism, but like just besides that, it's one of the few genres that I feel bad in a way that isn't a good way to feel bad. You know what I mean? Like yeah. horror movies, I'm feeling bad in a good way. Yeah. Uh, these ones I feel dread and I don't like feeling dread. So sure. I don't know. Maybe I'll watch it at some point. I'm but keen to it see does it. sound like the type of movie that I will feel bad after watching. So That's probably I'm good. not super keen. I'm keen to see it. Um, th- I think it's probably all, all the ones I have strong feelings about other than like best visual, vi- best visual effects went to Avatar and that shit looked amazing. Thank so yes. Christ. If anything uh, else won that, I was going to fucking riot. Yeah. And then uh, uh, best song went to Natu Natu from RRR which I just yep. watched the other day and that song is a very fun part of that movie so it's well deserved. Mm. Uh very weird that they didn't. They had like one of the main actors there for the performance, and then a bunch of just white people. There was two guys dancing, though. Yeah, I know, but it's like one of them. One of them wasn't the guy that did it. Oh, in really? The, I didn't. Yeah, know. Okay, it's right. funny. Um, anyway, I think that's Askaroska's coverage. Yeah, the only the only other one that I wanted to mention. Um, uh, there was a bunch of. I mean, yeah, we ha- we haven't covered like a bunch Shorts of the, and the documentaries and makeup ones, and but, stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the whale one makeup, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, international feature. Um, All Quiet won that. Yeah. And there was another nominee that I did see, which I saw recently, which was a movie that I absolutely really loved, which was Close. So I'd like to talk about that yeah, as sure. well. Yeah, sure. Okay. But I'm glad that it was nominated because I thought it was excellent. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, let's let's launch into Beef and Soul Pleasure then. Sure. Cool. Pleasure. Business. Pleasure. Uh, normally, I say that it's, of course, the segment where every week we rigorously discuss a specific movie of the show, and that this is the contrast to that. But we're not doing that this week. We mm. don't have a movie of the show, so this is no beefness or pleasure. It's basically mm. just the segment where only one of us has watched the movie, describes it to the other one, sells it to the other one, yeah. convinces Andrew, and therefore by proxy you, uh, <laughs> why you should be watching these movies that Sell I watch. Sell me this pen. What? Sell me this pen. <laughs> Sell me this uh, epic action drama film directed by S.S. Rajamouli. Uh, anyway, at the top of this, we wanted to mention, because it's been such a while since we recorded the last episode. Last episode, Laura talked about After Sun. Think you'll ever move back to Scotland? No. Why? There's this feeling once you leave where you're from that you don't totally belong there again. You okay through there? Don't you ever feel like tired and down and feels like your bones don't work, like you're sinking? Oh. 
We're here to have a good time, eh? You know, I want you to know that you can talk to me about anything as you get older, you know? Done it all and you can too. I wish we could escape for longer. Me too. Directed by a small up-and-coming director whose name escapes me. Charlotte Wells. Charlotte Wells, thank you. First uh, feature film. This movie is extremely good and I really liked it. Uh, and I think it's definitely, both of us agree, it's definitely worth seeing. I think the quick... Uh, the quick bio about it is that it stars Paul Mezcal as a young father uh, and Frankie. Yeah, a young, a breakout star. Her name is Frankie. She plays the daughter, Sophie. Yeah, Sophie, uh, as like a nine-year-old child. Paul Mezcal is like a young dad. So he's like 30 and he's a father to this 10-year-old girl. And so he's been a dad since he was about 20. And they, they're, they're going on a father-daughter... Choreo, sorry. You, going on a father-daughter holiday to Turkey in like the late 90s, early 90s. Mm. Uh, and half of the film is presented through the normal live action cameras and then the other half is presented uh, intercut with like footage from the father's handy cam and so you sort of get the impression that you're watching uh, you're watching the footage back years later um, it sort of feels like watching someone's memory of the holiday yeah I think it's about and there's a lot of um, a lot of the cinematography is is sort of focused on what you would think is like weird framings of stuff mm. um, like someone's elbow resting on something like a like a dinner table or something yeah. because it's meant to reflect the moments and the images and the uh, emotions that stick with you for a long time yeah. after you go on these kind of experiences and yeah. these, these things that might you might not know at the time but are formative yeah and I think one of the reasons it really impacted me a lot is I, I was talking a lot to my nan a few weeks ago and then my parents and I'm sort of coming up to an age where I'm almost the age that my parents were when they got married and almost mm. the age that my parents were when they had kids and so I'm sort of having this sort of like maybe maybe common experience in your sort of late 20s, early 30s, where you're like, oh, my, my grandparents and my parents are like <laughs> real normal people, hi, mm. dad, uh, who, uh, you know, they my, my, normal my, people. my parents style. are just people. They're mm. just people. And I'm getting to the edge, I'm like, oh, my, I am like the level of experience that my nan was when she had my dad. Yeah. And just yeah. thinking about like your parents and your grandparents as people instead of these like, uh, gods that you put on pedestals that are like all knowing and all seeing uh, leader figures kind of thing. It's mm. just like it was something I've been thinking about a lot recently, and this film kind of addresses that in a way that I really liked. Mm. Uh, it's kind of a slow movie, so I think that um, if you're going into it, I think just just be prepared to sort of lock your phone in a safe and watch it and sort of enjoy it in that way. I really loved it though. I, um, I'll say this. Based on the concept, and after the first time I saw it, I thought a lot of I was. It had incredibly high reviews, um, especially on Letterboxd, and the rate of people that saw it and just went like, "I didn't really get what it was doing." Was so, 
much lower than I would have thought. So I think it is a movie that's clicking with a lot more people. Yeah. And Charlotte Wells made three short films before she made After Sun, and she yeah. said each one of those short films, uh, the whole audience would maybe generally think it was good or generally think it was fine or generally not really be that engaged. But then there would be like a very small portion of the audience yeah. that would be like, no, you understand. You're the yeah. only person I've ever met that gets this feeling that I had. Yeah. And she said it was a different reason or a different audience segment each time. And I think for some reason, she's just tapped into a much... She's managed to do that in a way that captures quite a bit of the audience think, this time. I think there's lots of different stuff in After Sun to tap into. Yeah. I think that like depending on your experience and childhood type thing, I think mm. that there's lots of like emotionally stuff and trauma-y stuff and just nostalgic stuff that sort of there's enough beats for everyone. Yeah. And yeah. so I don't think everyone's necessarily resonating with the same thing. Uh, no. I, 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 I think it's worth not reading very much about. I think yeah. if you want to watch like a great emotional uh Father daughter drama, it's really great. I think the thing and it's so entertaining. I can't exactly remember. Oh, sorry. No, that's it. I just I was gonna wrap up. It is really entertaining. And I think the thing one of the things that makes it so entertaining, oh, okay. <laughs> listeners peek behind the curtain. Letterbox was down for scheduled maintenance before we recorded this, and it's yeah. now back up. Hey! So, thank Christ. We Time to find out what I watched. We're in absolute crisis mode. Um, but, uh, okay, it's going to be too hard to, to find the review. But basically, I think this was Alexi from Total Reboot that in his review mentioned how um, the film handles... So, I think what's kind of amazing is it does this balancing act because it, as much as I think uh, Sophie, the daughter, is the main character, the protagonist, I also think that uh, you get moments alone with both characters. Yeah. And uh, what that means is you get insights into their private lives and their their thought yeah. processes and all that kind of stuff and it does this incredible balancing act where it could have just been a movie about the daughter's experience and it could have just been a movie about this young father's experience who feels like he's he's just struggling to be a the the good parent that he wants to be yeah definitely but it 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 actually pulls off both in an incredible yeah. way and uh kind of miraculous and mm. i think it handles both with such uh, tender empathy and understanding, which is, again, incredible considering that they are two people, different genders, different life stages, different priorities, different understandings of the world. Um, that it, And it, it's, this, it's this journey that it brings the audience on to um, understand empathetically f for this f for this daughter to understand what her father was doing and is yeah. going on um and, and and kind of in a way look for answers yeah but uh yeah i think it's amazing it's very subtle the score is really incredible a couple needle drops that are um very well so placed. emotionally yeah. affecting great um, great movie worth seeing, yeah for sure. definitely worth seeing so I, I i just can't recommend it enough and i i really hope you enjoy it i'm sorry if you're one of the ones that it, it, it misses you for but yeah. as oscar said absolutely put your fucking phone away because so yeah. much of the movie is happens on little nuance in the bits, expressions yeah. and in the moments and in the little the little things so it's it is something that you'll enjoy if you really go in go yeah. into it uh uh with your full attention yeah for sure um i was going next yeah, you go. Okay, so I watched, uh, just the other day, watched a movie I've been really looking forward to watching for a while and finally got around to watching it. Uh, it's called RRR. Mm. Um, Rrr. Rrr. <laughs> <laughs> Rrr. 
వేటగాడు కావాలి ఆ పని చేయగలిగేది ఒక్కడే సార్ Uh, RRR uh, is, if you haven't heard about it, it's like an Indian, uh, it was just made last year, it's on Netflix. It's, it's maybe a, the most Western famous Bollywood movie that's ever been made. I don't necessarily think it's a Bollywood movie in the okay. same way people normally think about Bollywood movies, but yeah, it's an Whoops. Indian movie. It's an, uh, it, it, Wikipedia describes it as an epic action drama film, okay. which is definitely the case. It's three hours long. Um, mm. It's uh, Pat... A friend of the show, Pat, described it as a swashbuckling adventure, which I think is an awesome way of describing it. It really captures... It's kind of like if you've seen like a Kung Fu hustle kind of thing. Right. It's kind of that same level of thing where the the crazy over-the-top action sequences are very silly and enthralling. And the two main characters have this beautiful brother-like friendship bond where they're constantly like fighting back to back with their shirts off and their muscles absolutely glistening. Mm. There's a sequence where one of them picks up a motorcycle and slaps one of the guys across the face with the motorcycle. Um, there's a sequence where they're like like, r- like riding a tiger type Everything shit. Everything is like cranked to 11. 100%. Yeah. It's at 11 out of 10 the whole way through the movie. It's just mm. absolutely cranked and ready to go. It is so much fun. Yeah. Really glad I finally watched it. Regret that it took me this long to watch it. Mm. Um, so it's about these two guys in like British India in, I guess like I assumed it was like the 1920s, but I'm sure this is, yeah. So in 1920s in British India, one of the guys um, is, they're both absolutely jacked. The most jacked dudes you've ever seen. One of them is a member of a village from which a small eight year old girl was like abducted by the British rulers because mm. they like the way she sings or whatever and taken to live with them in the palace and his his mission is to like um break into the palace and find this girl and bring her back home uh-huh. and then the other guy is um this indian guy who has worked his way up to be very highly ranked in the british military yeah right and so he's kind of seen as a bit of a traitor mm. uh and his job is to find this mysterious man who's coming to town to to Steal take the on away. the government and he, right. he has to track her he has to track him down and right. has no idea what he looks like uh, and so it's these two guys with this this very driven missions uh, meanwhile the first sort of opening act of the movie involves these two meeting by coincidence and teaming up to do a very crazy insane heist level hero rescue of some child that's stuck on a burning bridge right. and they become best buds Without knowing Without that they knowing are mortal who enemies. They are. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. So the, the other, so the military guy's kind of undercover looking for this like revolutionary. The revolutionary guy doesn't realize that this the best, best bud that he's just made is this military guy undercover. Mm. And so they're sort of going on this crazy swashbuckling side story adventure trying to like win the love of some girl and do this other shit. Meanwhile, not realizing that they're secret enemies. Um, so much fun. So much crazy shit in this movie. There is like a sequence where um, one of them like puts strings grenades onto the end of an arrow and like fires grenade arrows. Mm. There's a sequence where um, he's chased by tigers and then like captures a tiger and has like a fight with the tiger. It seems like one of those like movies where no one ever said no yeah, to anything. Literally. Yeah, yeah. It, it rules. It absolutely rules. Um, there is a there is a dance 
there's like a dance battle sequence mm. in this where the two Indian guys get invited to this like British high society cocktail party and are being mocked for not understanding how to do foxtrots and all these Western dances. And so these two guys do the the song that's in the Oscars is like their like Natu, crazy Natu. hyper Natu Natu like um dance battle to prove to the British that they know how to dance better than anyone. Mm. Uh, it's it's so much fucking... It's absolutely electric, rivetingly good fun mm. the whole way through. It's incredibly stupid in like an enthralling, satisfying way. Like uh, the, my favourite... The, the great example is a guy picks up a motorcycle and slams another guy across the face with a <laughs> motorcycle. And it makes you go like... <laughs> like the, That's the like whole one way of the through. least... Uh, that's one of the most grounded things that you've just talked about. It's funny that that's like your favorite illustrative example. Oh, it's just the one that it's, it happens late in the movie. Yeah, so sure. it's just it's it's stuck in my mind. Pays off. Yeah. yeah. Um it fucking rules, man. Mm. It's it's the best fun. Um a little odd caveat is that it was filmed in like Indian uh, India has a whole bunch of languages where people natively speak different languages yeah, across the whole I continent. About this. I can't remember the name of the language that it's it's filmed in originally, but whatever the name whatever the language is, a Telugu. So it's originally filmed in Telugu. Uh, that audio is not available on Netflix. Which is insane. So it's only available dubbed, which is a bit annoying, but mm. it's not worth being a nerd about. It's enjoyable in its current state. So the way that it watches you on Netflix, the way it makes you watch it if you just hit play is all dubbed in English. Mm which is fine, but it gets confusing because in the original version of the movie, the British people are speaking English and the Indian people are speaking Telugu. Right. And there are bits where they can't, they can't understand, understand each, each other. other. Like there's this romance bit with an Indian guy and a British woman right. where in the dubbed version, they're both speaking English. Uh, and the, the, and you just have to remember that they can't understand each other and they say every now and then like, oh, I can't understand what you're saying. So the way I ended up watching it that... Stopped me. So the lips are going to be out of sync no matter what. You just have to get mm. used to it. The way I ended up watching it that was fine was I watched it in Hindi because if you said okay, it to sure, Hindi, yeah. the it's the, still dubbed. But when they're the speaking Indian people languages. are speaking Hindi and the British people are still speaking English in sure. the Hindi dub. Okay, so it means that it's very clear where <laughs> playing a JRPG with the language set to like Chinese. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it, it it means that they're both. It it means that the language barriers make sense because there are characters sure. that are bilingual, and so yeah, in the yeah, English yeah. version, one of the characters is speaking English all the time, but in the in the dub, sometimes he speaks Hindi and sometimes he speaks English. Mm. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's just I noticed it, and halfway through the movie, you thought like, wait, what the fuck is going on? So that's the answer. So okay, right. if you if if the language barrier thing really doesn't happen that much. So if you don't care, they make it obvious through the dialogue enough that you can just watch it in English if you mm. don't want to be a nerd about it. But I felt like being a nerd about it is way to watching it in Hindi. Sure. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Awesome, 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 awesome movie. Definitely worth watching. Mm. Um, this is also nerdship, but real real quick, um, I, uh, I'm not going to have a good understanding of this, but I just did want to mention, like, I, I understand that people who are more familiar with the... Um, historical context of everything that's happened and uh, what this movie is saying about because it is based on kind of like historical events. It is, but it says right at the very start, there's a big fat disclaimer. There's like more disclaimery than anything I've ever seen it's, that is like, yeah, I don't know. It's all fictional and don't at us and it's, it's all made up. And I don't know if Netflix put that there because my understanding is the movie is essentially very propagandistic and very revisionary yeah, so I, of I, a lot of stuff that's happened. But Zach, when I was talking about it with Zach the other yeah, day, I, guest, I, so. I hadn't seen it. And so he was like, I'm not going to explain it too much because you haven't seen it. There's no point explaining something you haven't seen. Right. But he was basically saying it's glorifying violence and like endorsing 
violence. Like a violent rebellion. In a way that um, uh, Zach and his partner were talking about how it... It, it, it seems irresponsible and it's propagandary. Mm. I'd have to read it up within the context of the movie and having the benefit yeah, of not just, really understanding it. If you it, pretend it's not real. A lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. A lot yeah, of fun. Yeah. I worry a lot that it would be... I, I feel like I have a really tough time. I mean, if I something like Swiss Army Man, for example, um, is, an, is, is an example I'm giving that undermines my point before I've yeah. made my point. Um, neurodivergent moment. But um, <laughs> I'm usually pr- really put off by goofy shit. And um, I think I'm very sensitive to it. And so I'm like, I'm worried that I'm not going to enjoy it because I'm not going to be able to buy into it. There are movies that I've seen that do it, like Swiss Army Man. There we go. Watch it work. I would say this is not necessarily as goofy as Swiss Army Man. It's like high octane. Like there's a bit where they have to save a child that is like floating on a raft (laughs) under a bridge. And so they, they they tie each other to ropes and get on motorcycles, mm. and one of them jumps off a rope from one side, and one of them jumps off the other side, and they're like they like meet in the middle. Yeah, it's it's stupid it's not shit. Where it's like that's the not the way I was doing. Because that could be something from a Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, it's, it's like that. It's the fact that it's the way it's shot, and I've seen some clips that are like you know the like the clip with I don't know the context of it, so sorry, yeah. but the one where it's like. It's like a basically they release all the animals. It's like a wall of animals that they're riding through, or maybe it's when they're riding a tiger or something. Yeah. And I just remember watching it and thinking, like, this is. You're right. They actually don't ride a tiger. It's that thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that's that's the one weak point where I would say so. All the animals are CG. Yeah. Good, but um, the, the CG just isn't the best CG I've seen. Right. So, like the lighting is a bit off on some of the animals and like that scene is like at night lit by fire and stuff. So they've just gone for a very, very ambitious scene to use 3d animated creatures in. It looked for, it looked particularly goofy, but the reason why I saw it was someone posting saying like, RRR is the most fun thing I've watched in years. Yeah. Just look at this. And I watched it and I was like, that looks like not what I would enjoy. And also I think that's kind of, I mean that, that shot's used a lot. It's nice. It would be nice if people didn't, not that it's a spoiler because it's all over the place, but like that'd be a nice surprise to have that in the movie. And sure, I also yeah. don't think, I agree, it doesn't look great. And like without the context of the rest of the movie, it's not really understandable why it's really satisfying to watch that bit. Because mm. uh, there's a lot of lead up to like them like storming the castle kind of thing. Yeah, and right. So yeah. that's so kind sort of, of showing you like the end game bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of why that's fun to watch. Because right. you're like, oh, fuck yeah, they finally did it. It's yeah. fine. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's really worth watching. I guess if it. You know, like if it, mm. I think if it was a slow r- ramp, then actually that might get me on board faster because I feel like I'm like a bit of a frog in hot water with that kind of stuff. Where if you trick me, where each thing is like a, actually everything everywhere is a perfect example. Yeah. Where I think it starts off s- like, and, and Kinda similarly normal. Swiss Army Man, yeah, where it's like it's uh, the character is like, what the fuck was that? And it's yeah. like, uh, one weird thing and then yeah. by the end of the movie it's, like hot it's dog just hands and such shit, a yeah. consistently strange bizarre thing that like you're laughing during the butt plug bit but yeah. then later on there's a there's there's more butt plug stuff and and you it's just you're just like yeah that's the butt plug guys yeah in the, you it, know, it, it, it like normalizes it this for is you. the ultimate fucking dudes rock how much fun mm. is it to watch these two best friends being the ultimate team together but like it's it's the best it will be really fun to watch with a crew like next time the boys are all together we should watch this movie and we'd have a great time i got another uh three hour long dudes rock movie for you where you watch two best friends take on the world it's fucking the Irish. That's three and a half hours long. I looked it up. <laughs> that extra thirty minutes is what kills. Listeners, I am 
I'm SMHing my head right now. <laughs> what did you watch, brother? Uh, okay, I watched the literal opposite of that movie, which <laughs> is uh, Close. It's a foreign film about two little gay boys. <laughs> It was really good. So yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll I'll keep this one. I'll keep this one quick. Um, also, because there's a thing that happens halfway through that changes the story a little bit, and I yeah. don't want to have to spoil it. Fair enough. Um, so uh, it's about um, two young boys, like I said, Leo and Remy, played by uh, sorry, these are young French actors, uh, Eden Dombrin and uh, Gustave de Vail. Um it's directed by a guy called Lucas Lucas Don't D H O N T, which is a very <laughs> funny name. Uh, maybe Lucas Don't. Um, I think it's his second feature. Uh, the letterbox tagline is: Thirteen-year-olds Leo and Remy have always been incredibly close, but they drift apart after the intimacy of their relationship is questioned by schoolmates. Right. So, um, it's a little bit about. It's kind of like. You know, it's you spend a little bit of time with these these two kids, like basically watching them exist before they sort of get to. I think it's probably primary school age, but maybe yeah. it's like year five or six or something. And um, they've always been incredibly close and incredibly intimate, and it's sort and of like loud, extremely loud, nice. and incredibly <laughs> <Very good. laughs> um, to the point where like they sleep in the same bed, and oh, yeah. um, th- they there's like a really lovely kind of like I think that's just European it's just European it's well I think the film makes you really understand that like essentially these two kids really truly love each other yeah um, in a way that's very sweet and uh, it is it feels very precious because it's it's that feeling and I'm a fucking sucker for these kinds of stories it's the feeling of that first passion before you even understand what it is. Yeah. I think yeah, in yeah. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, one of the characters maybe asks, I think it's from there, but one of the characters asks, like, do all lovers feel like they're discovering this for the first time? Um, or like they're the first ones to discover this? Yeah. And that really is kind of what it feels like. Um, because they're young, it's 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 non-explicitly sexual. Like, there's nothing to do really with that. It's just about how close they are and... Um, the affection and uh, like wondrous kind of love that they feel for each other and, and just how you can see how happy they are spending time together. Yeah, and right. then when they start to spend time at school, all of a sudden, some of these kids have learned internalized homophobia and they really experience that for the first time. And the two of them have very different reactions to that. Um, and... Uh, 
it's a really beautiful movie that is at times uh, challenging to challenging to watch just because like it some really harsh stuff happens. Right. Um, but I really loved it. Um, this was nominated for best international. Nominated feature for as best well. international. Yeah. yeah cool. Um, the performances are incredible. Can you liken it to any other movie that um, oh, to give people a, a sense I of like should a, have thought about it, like a flavor of what it's kind of like. I, I, I'm I'm leading people astray by saying Portrait of a Lady on Fire and, and I'm I'm at risk there of just like naming another gay romance movie. Yeah. Um but uh yeah, sorry, if you don't that's fine. No, I just, I just can't really think because this is an age group that you don't really see I mean maybe something like boyhood, it feels very much like a coming of age story. Yeah, sure. And one of the one of the boys is the main character. Mm. Um, well, I feel like Portrait of Lady on Fire. It's very, it's a very romantic movie. That one, it, it like it feels like viscerally lovely and loving and romantic at times in a way yeah. that really sort of fills you. Yeah, I and, and I think I don't know. It's uh, oh, okay. The, this is another fucking obscure touch point that most people listening to it probably wouldn't have seen. But um, uh, Petite Maman, which is I've heard the, that movie's great. That's Celine Sharma. Her the director of Portrait of a Lady on Fire's next movie. Right. It really didn't click with me, but it's about a five or six-year-old girl um, that sort of... There's a little... I, uh, I hope I'm not spoiling this at all. I think the thing you're about to say is a spoiler that I wish I didn't know, so yeah. Okay, right. So, basically, it's a... it's a Okay, thank you. It's a coming-of-age story um, that involves her uh, meeting a best friend and... Um, uh, Having a similar kind of romancey kind of it's, close it's, relationship. It's not. It's not. That's that's where I'm leading people straight. It's not romantic in that. Yeah, movie. like a close. Like when you say, like but when you're a friend that, when you're a child. That best, thing. best, best friend. And yeah. I think what it shows is that, like, when you're a young kid, um, that closeness is, uh, in a way that, and the joy that you get from being around like your best friend, is, um, very difficult to separate out from the excitement and the um, discovery that you get from your early kind of like sexual experiences or your early experiences of intimacy. And sometimes they're the same. And um, I think the way that it handles all of that is really, really gets you on board. And you really felt, I really felt a lot of, um, a lot of passion for, for these two, for You're not these the two only kids. one that probably felt a lot of passion. If I know what I'm well, that's another. Just like quietly, I don't know if anyone that's listening is thinking like this is pretty fucking weird. But it Doesn't really sound weird. No, it's it's just the way that it handles. Like, I think someone someone who is ready to be angry could very easily point to this and say like. Oh, this uh, is like child porn. Adult, yeah, exactly. An adult making a movie about kids doing this kind of thing is, is really fucked up. And I just think like you're a grow up. Like yeah. literally grow up. You can bake stories about anything. It's very sweet. Yeah. It doesn't feel exploitative. In On a much softer note, uh, in case anyone's seen it and they have this issue with it, I did see like there's a, a vocal minority of people on Letterboxd that are saying it's like, this is like um, like misery porn. Like it's... it's uh, it's uh, rollicking in the torture of uh, especially this one boy um, and the emotional turmoil that he goes through. Yeah. Um, and I, I really think that's a very reductionist reading of the film, but also, like, I am a straight guy. Um, I haven't experienced uh, 
trauma that a lot of queer people would have experienced. And so, I I understand that perspective. I don't necessarily agree. It's like that movie, that documentary about bullying that got an R rating so that kids couldn't watch it. Um, yeah. at school and people were like oh this is too fucked up it's like yeah kids go through fucked up stuff at school and like yeah. kids go through a lot of fucked up traumatic emotional stuff and to be mm. like this is you're like milking this I, I haven't seen the movie but if it's anything like those other every single other time I've heard this criticism it's yeah. just the only thing where it's like shut up people <laughs> well, let people make movies a super easy and very quick comeback that I've heard the director talk about is like well this is very inspired by my own life yeah so I'm allowed yeah. to make a fucking movie about that right. basically it's like, it's like are they saying like this is so sad that no one has ever probably experienced anything this sad it's like well that can't be true so like, no 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 you're it's, just saying like this yeah. makes me uncomfortable they're and you're saying, saying like, like you shouldn't get enjoyment from watching this suffering Again, but it's dumb. like that's we've always told stories that are tragic. I love like art just, that makes me sad. Yeah, exactly. And and mm. I think that's that's all it is. It doesn't what I would say is as a person who didn't who hasn't ever had to deal with that kind of trauma, yeah. it it doesn't feel like it's exploiting it or like it's overly like it's like I said, like it's frolicking in the suffering. It just right. it just shows you what he has to deal with, and I okay. think uh, I don't think it goes too far. I also think I was talking about this to someone else recently in terms of like uh, romantic, like songs about like breakups and stuff like that. Mm, where sure. I, I think like I I I like songs about like breakupy, unrequited, lovey type stuff because it feels like when you're going through those feelings and those really negative emotions it feels like the most personal like no one else has ever fucking experienced this before and no one else understands this yeah no one knows what it's like and so then to feel it like to see it depicted or hear it depicted in art in such a way where you're like oh that's exactly my experience that's exactly how I feel it feels validating to be like oh man someone else I'm not crazy. Someone else has gone yeah. through exactly the same thing, and you get to you get to feel validated. It's cathartic to share you, a story, and you feel yeah. comforted to be like, "Oh, it wasn't just me. It's like yeah. other people have gone through this shit as well." So no, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, that's that's nerd stuff to talk about. I, I I really the reason like you listening and certainly Oscar, you're probably fucking tired of me always having these bullshit, stupid caveats. I just wouldn't like the idea that someone who has had a negative reaction to a movie hears us talk about it and feels like we're not switched on to those kind of perspectives or like we um, don't care about uh, that no, kind of thing. I don't, and it's like, like I just like acknowledging opinions. it, but uh, sometimes, and this was this is on a spectrum where I think that's a pretty reasonable, I think it's a reasonable and understandable reaction to how I don't yeah. agree with it, but um, but sometimes I'll be like, those people are stupid. I think, I think they're being ridiculous. I think most of the time when that criticism happens, I don't care about acknowledging it because it's like, it's not for you. If people feel I feel well, that's, it's yeah, like it's a shorthand like, for it, yeah, for great, sure. Great, it's not for you. Yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you, right, um, great. Yeah, Whatever. I can't. I can't talk about more of it no, without, without spoiling it. But Man, bottom line cool. was, I really, really enjoyed it. I, 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 I haven't quite wrapped my head around how I relate to coming of age stories yet because some of them are like my favorite movies ever, and some of them I don't really like that much. Um, yeah. And I feel like it's a genre that I'm really kind of like, I don't it, like. It might end up being a genre that I want to make after a period of time. You know, I can feel right. like this sense of connection and importance to coming of age stories. Right. And um, this was a really good one. So uh, yeah, I would cool. I'd highly recommend it. So um, that was uh, that was close. Directed by Lucas Dont. Yeah. D H O N T. And the movie I talked about was Triple R. I didn't say the name of the director. 
Um, so it was uh, Triple R directed by S.S. Rajamouli. Oh, no, you did. Oh, you made oh, yeah. in a joke. Yeah. In a joke. Hell yeah. Um, I think we promised that we were going to talk about Last of Us, but we've gone on for long enough that I feel like maybe we don't need to. But at some point in the future, we'll talk about Last of Us. So mm. if you're curious about it, want to hear our, sto- our spoilers, uh, maybe use, here's your warning to go catch up on HBO or binge or whatever it is and watch all the episodes. I think we both really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I'll say this. I First episode, I was a little turned off because it felt like I... I, I had trouble separating out the fact that I'd already played the games so I knew what yeah. was going to happen. Um, and I think it just took me a little while to warm up. Yeah. Episode three did a lot of work getting me on board. That's the Frank and Bill episode. But um, uh, by the end of the series, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed um, it too. And so I think it's, it's worth highly watching. worth watching. And I think I've, I've had colleagues at work that haven't played the games also really enjoy it. I think that's cool. the thing. The, this is a series that's designed for people who really haven't played it. Um, and yeah. I think uh, it's not it's not pandering to people who have, which I think is very clever. And I think Mason is a good enough writer and, and um, yeah. clever enough to know that that was a losing strategy. So, yeah. And if you haven't watched HBO stuff for a while, I mean, the binge kind of sucks, I guess, but there's, there's enough... sucks really badly. There's enough stuff on there that it's probably worth paying for a couple of months to watch mm. the, uh, the HBO stuff you haven't gone in on for a while. So, that's that's all from us for the week. Uh, but also get a VPN and fucking watch it like on an inter- uh, American streaming service because binge doesn't have like... I don't think it ever does 4K it's and annoying. their 1080 fucking compression sucks ass. It's Last of Us is a very dark show. A lot of night stuff yeah. happens and the compression really it's, sucks. I, I think that's something you get into a rabbit hole. If you're too a compression to head like yeah. me, anyway, they're doing a Blu ray release, so I'm going to buy it. Every now and then you I'd love to fucking my compress head. your head. Yeah. Love getting my head compressed. <laughs> Crush your head into a tiny little fucking cube. Yeah. God damn. All yeah. right. That's all from us. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. I'm Oscar. You. Bye. I'm Andrew. Bye. 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 Thanks. Not salsa, not flamenco, my brother. Do you know? Natu? What is Natu? Polam got to Dumulona, Portla get the Dukina to Polera, Majatara Lopota Raju, Gina to Kirusepole, Sakoni, Karasamusina to Madris, Tunira, Kura, Kumpukurina to Yerajan, Telona, Mirabatoko, Galibina, Napata Zuru, Napata Zuru, Napata Zuru, Natu, 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 Natu,